You are listening to the Stronger Together Experience. My name is Dr. Matthew X. Joseph, and my goal is to meet with educators across the globe and learn from them, learn with them, because I believe being stronger together allows us to collaborate and support one another's growth. So join me in this episode and all episode to learn stories from educators in the field sharing their experiences to help us grow and become stronger together. Remember, when we work collaboratively, we take our story and make our path and journey one to learn from. So as we move through this and listen to our stories, remember, we over me will make us stronger together. Welcome back. I am super excited today. What a day of Stronger Together podcast. I started today with Star Saxine, had a great conversation about assessment and homework and everything in between. And I get to continue that great conversation with her co-author on one of one of their books and then uh, somebody who I met early on in my career in, in this space of starting to speak and starting to write and someone who I have followed for a long time and just been inspired by the work that she does around leadership, around questioning techniques, and just really around impacting the field of education. So I am super excited to bring her on here. It's been a while since we saw each other. I think the last time was whew, definitely uh, pre-COVID and um, I'm excited to have a chance to see her again in Nicecape in a couple of weeks. So I'm thrilled to have Connie Hamilton with us today. All the great things you're doing. And you're in mountain time zone now. So for those of you who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you're doing now. Yeah, well, I, I started off teaching and eventually was an administrator, both the principal and at the district level. And I started to do uh, professional development for my teachers in my school district. We were we didn't have any money to bring in anybody, and um, I really kind of got the bug for teaching again. Okay. And it I felt like it was being fed by professional <laughs> development, and I was like, you know, I kind of like this. <laughs> and um, just neighboring schools, the word started to get out. Neighboring schools would ask me to share some of the things that I've been sharing with my staff and kind of one thing led to another and I just got really lucky to be in the right place at the right time a few different times and so now I um I do this 
full time. This is my only job. I I consult, I speak, and you know, I'm working on a few different projects with various people. So living awesome. with yeah, we're gonna we're gonna touch on a few projects, but one of the things that was was funny this week was one I wanted to make sure to get Connie on. It's been too long, and she's done so many great things. But when we were talking about what to kind of really touch on, it would be like a half day workshop to go through all the things that that she really does and impacts. So one that I am really interested in learning more, and I think for our educators out there as well, is around one of the first books I think you wrote. I don't know if it was the first one or not. Um, but hacking questions, because I think for me, when I learned it and, and we first met in Chicago and you were talking about this as a project, and I was like, oh, that seems like common sense. But then when I read the book and I heard you speak about it, there's a much deeper impact of getting that, in, you know, real intrinsic motivation to, to think and have that voice come out. So I'd love for you to talk about the, the book, what started it, the thought process down there and why it's important. Well, um, you know, as I kind of alluded to before, I was doing some professional learning in my own district, and a lot of it was around questioning. I began to see some patterns in the teachers as I was going in and out of classrooms, and I got really curious about how we could become better questioners. And so I just started reading everything I could get my hands on. And so my path to book writing is kind of the reverse of most people. I, I was <laughs> doing a lot of presenting, speaking. I was, I would try to get, anytime I would go to a conference, I would try to present at the conference so that I could get a discount on the conference rate. <laughs> right. Because like I said, school district didn't have a lot of money for PD. And so if I wanted to grow myself outside of my district, I had to figure out a way to fund it. Right. Good, good strategy. Yeah. Right. And so it, actually it's kind of funny. It feeds into star is that I actually pitched the, the book to times 10 publications and um, Mark said, no, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Said, there's too much out there already about questions. And besides, if I were to write, or if I were to publish a book on questioning, it would be with star Saxty. And I was like, Oh, Wow. Okay. I know a little bit about Star Saxteen. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd worked on a, a couple of really small projects. I didn't know her personally, but we'd known each other through Twitter, kind of on a professional level. And he said, really, what I'm looking for is a book on homework. And so I reached out to Star and said, will you co-author a book with me? Oh, wow. I didn't know the origin story there. That's yeah. great. And so that was my first book. I co-authored with Star and um, but the questioning book was really what I, after I had some success there with the homework book and, you know, I got my foot in the door as an author, you, you know, it's kind of like getting your first teaching job and they're looking right. for somebody with experience, but you don't have any. Um, so I, uh, once I got a little bit of experience, then I repitched it and he agreed. So yeah, that's, um, that's really where my passion really was I were most of my research is around questioning and then that just led into a whole bunch of different areas of curiosity for me wonderful so with that curiosity speaking about that and and really speaking to teachers because you said that's kind of the work you've been doing you're in a district now so how can teachers encourage more of our learners to engage in questions and having that discourse and dialogue and really making that thinking visible yeah, I think, I think when most of the time when we think about questioning, we imagine 
a class discussion where the teacher puts the question and we try to get as many hands up in the air as we can. And then the teacher chooses a student, either cold calls on them, pulls a popsicle stick, picks a volunteer, whatever. <laughs> right. Choose somebody. And then that student answers. And then the teacher might add on or comment or ask the class if anybody else has something to say. And then the teacher asks the next question. And I think really the most impactful and the quickest way that you can engage more learners in questioning is to change that ping pong practice of teacher, one student, teacher, different student, teacher, right. different student, to looking at what are some ways that I can get every single kid to respond to a single question. Okay. That leads into things like whiteboards or a stop and jot, or um, I have multiple cards in front of me and I hold up the card that represents a response to the question that a teacher is posing or talk strategies like a turn and talk or a think pair share is the minute that you take a question and move it from who can tell me and hands right. shoot in the air to turn and speak to your turn and ask your partner, you immediately go from what? 2% to 50. It's wow. a pretty giant jump just by getting half of your class doing a turning talk because half of your students are responding. So you can like in a second, you can increase the engagement just by shifting the modality that students respond to. And, and what was that stress? Stop and jot. What was that? <laughs> stop and jot is like literally like you stop and then you take out a, some kind of a sheet of paper and you jot down maybe a couple of keywords, or you might, one of the strategies that I often share is a six word summary. So okay. six words, how would you respond to this? Or in, we've been, a lot of times we will, maybe we'll pause. If you have a, a foundation heavy lesson where you're really getting some groundwork information to students and you're feeling like, oh, this is a lot of teacher <laughs> stuff, then a stop and jot is a great tool to say, all right, we've been talking for a long time. There's a lot of information that has been poured at you. So just pause for a moment and just jot down what, if you could summarize okay. the last 10 minutes, how would you summarize that in six words? I like it. Now, one of the things I've seen, and especially you know, in my time as being an elementary school principal, when we put students kind of on the spot like that, they get nervous or anxious. What are, what are some strategies that you share that helps students not be that nervous or, or tell teachers, this is what are the things that you can do to bring that out in students? Yeah. So one of the, you know, one of the reasons that teachers, the, the, that whole cold calling kind of perspective of I don't call on kids because it makes them anxious or I do call on kids because they should be ready. Right. Um, you know, that we, I think there's some recognition that there is a bit of, anxiety or um, just kind of tenseness that comes if you're cold called and maybe you're not right for that. And so one of the ways that you can reduce that is just giving students an opportunity to practice what it is that they're going to say. And so okay, if you still want to have a student voice, instead of jumping right to selecting one student to respond, maybe again, just going to the turn and talk, but instead of framing it as a turn and talk, frame it into, okay, 
I'm going to, I'm going to select a somebody to share. And so in case that's you, <laughs> right. Turn to your partner and share what might be a response that you would give if you were called on. And then you, from that perspective, if you do have a student that, you know, maybe has some confidence issues or is a little bashful, but you want to help them to overcome that, um, that anxiety that they have when they're doing their practice conversation with just their individual student, the teacher can go over and listen in on that specific conversation. And then you affirm the heck out of them. You give them like, okay. yes, I love that idea. You're high-fiving, yeah. thumbs up. Like, oh, I love that kind of thought. Right. Is it, and then you ask permission. May I call on you to share what you just said with the class? And I by like asking permission in advance, you're validating that, yes, there's no risk that you're going to be humiliated or the answer is wrong. Like I got your back. I already heard you once. Right. Um, and it really helps to put the student into that position to be able to say, yeah, it's okay if you call on me. And if they say no, I don't want, no, 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 I won't, don't want to do that. Then it also gives you the opportunity to um, still elevate the status of that student by sure. asking them, can I share? Do you mind if I share your thinking or do you mind if your partner shares your thinking? And so we're still sharing and acknowledging the words of the student. The caution is if the teacher is sharing what an anxious student said or a student that lacks confidence is you do not want to paraphrase at that time. You don't say okay. what you wish the student had actually said. You don't beef it up with all vocab <laughs> vocabulary right. and use teacher language. You literally parrot exactly what the student said. Because the message that we want to send to that student is, what you said is worth sharing exactly the way that you said it. It doesn't need any improvement. It was great just the way that you did it. No, I like that. And I think in, inherent in what you're saying is about getting students to take more risks. It's about getting students to feel comfortable to share answers without having that cold calling that you, you started. And, and in your work, why is it so hard for students to take that risk, to, to put themselves out there and to possibly not have the right answer to whatever question was asked? Yeah, I think a lot of that comes with how safe they feel on an academic level. And so I think I don't think there's a teacher in the world that says wrong answers are bad, right? I mean, we, we all kind <laughs> right, of right. communicate to kids like it's okay to be wrong. But we talk out of both sides of our mouths when we say it's okay to be wrong. And then when a student responds, we say something like, that's not exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> right. Okay. Or if we say something like, yeah, you're close. Or if we say you're on the right track, who can help Matt? Oh, yes. Right. So now essentially what we're communicating is, you know, it's okay to be wrong, but if you're wrong, I'm going to find somebody who's right, right anyway. And so we really negate the that universal message of take a risk. We learn from failure, blah, blah, blah. Like all of that is completely, completely undone when we say things like, yeah, well, I was hoping you would say something different or no one would say it exactly that way, but you get it. 
No, I, I do. And I think that little shift in, in phrasing that you just talked about is, is impactful. And, you know, I want you to dive a little bit deeper on that to say, you know, share some of the things that teachers can do tomorrow to just make those questions more inviting. And because when that happens, you know, we just talked about students taking a risk. We just talked about students who maybe not are nervous, but these little techniques or phrasing will help them. So what can teachers implement tomorrow? Well, I think the first thing is really thinking about how you change the, your default of how students respond to questions. And instead of the default being one kid at a time, as I kind of mentioned before, make your default be something that is like, it's as if every hand is up in the classroom and you're calling on all of the hands at the same time. So okay. that's that's really kind of the first thing that, that you can do to um, to make your questions a little bit more inviting. The other piece is looking a bit at the semantics of the question and then what happens as soon as the question is dropped. Okay. So um, one of the things is just to soften questions in a little bit as in a way that you would expect multiple responses. So like what might be the theme or what okay. are possible um, predictions that could could occur? Um, or what are um, potential strategies that might help us work through that? And then having some type of a strategy that prohibits students from blurting or shooting their hands up in the air. <laughs> right. Because some kids need that additional processing time. And so that increases anxiety too. If I have 10 kids around me who know the answer super quickly, but I have to think about it, then I'm sure. much less likely to just be like, well, let them take care of it. Right. And, and kind of the, to step back and, and be yeah. more passive. Yeah. And I would say, I think the other thing that you can do immediately is to get comfortable with letting right responses and letting the aha moment happen over time. We don't have to correct incorrect answers immediately. It's okay, okay if students sit in a misconception for a little while. You don't want them to leave your classroom right. at the end of the year with major misconceptions. But it really is okay for students to believe something that you know is inaccurate. Like think of science, right? Okay. Yeah. You think that something is happens in a scientific way and you're sitting back and going, yeah, that's not how it happens. You can allow the study to reveal that for themselves so that students have the opportunity to change their mind with more information instead of saying, yeah, I can see why you might think that. Right. But no, there's you might learn it a different way or, yep, we're going to we're going to discover something that's different about that. We it's really OK to just sort of let that linger and then just making a habit of going back to. All right. We've revisited this. We've discovered some things. We've been talking about this. What does this do with our original thing? Does it make it deeper? Does it make us more committed? Does it make us question our thinking more? Does it completely change our mind? What does exploring this idea or concept do to our original idea? And that also, we do that when your idea is correct from the beginning, because okay. we want to build a habit of students always going back to, am I more sure now? Am I less <laughs> right. sure now? Am I sure that I was wrong? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. And, and it's like reflecting on their own work. 
Yes. And we want that as a habit. We don't want, there are times when I'm observing in classrooms that teachers will ask students to rethink or revisit their answer only when it's wrong. And so when a teacher says, you know, how sure are you about that? Or are, you know, are you sure? Or (laughs) go take a look at number four again. Like that is teacher code for your answer is wrong. It's right, 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 right. (laughs) And so if that is a habit that we just, we bring all of the time, now the the students are no longer queuing into these um, patterns that we have that say, hint, hint, wink, wink, your answer is wrong. Go back and look at it. Yeah, we just go back and look at it all the time. And now it isn't, it's no longer a cue and it really requires the student to decide, yeah, was my original answer correct or was it not? And so one of the things that I often, when I notice that teachers have a pattern in that, I ask them to just like once a day, twice a day, ask a student, are you sure when the answer is correct? And see what they do. And see what happens. And wow. if they are confused or if they change their answer, that is really a cue to you that that you are providing a prompt to them that you might not be intending to do. And that creates dependent learners. Like they'll they will raise their hand over and over, like, is this right? Is this good? Am I done? Right. <laughs> right. Because no. they haven't developed a habit of answering those reflections for their for themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been 20 minutes of PAC strategies. I have Connie's website down below. One of the things I saw when I was just reviewing your site today is that you have free sketch notes on the hackingquestions.com and all these other resources. I would love for you to just share what somebody would see if they visit your website and the resources that you have there because it's plentiful for sure. Yeah, all of the, there's, um, so on the website, there's a, there's like where I am. So you kind of mm-hmm. get a feel for the different places where I go, what conferences I'll be attending. There's some descriptions of some of the workshops that I lead. But really the most relevant thing for your listeners is there's a page that is a resource page and every yes. single thing on that page is free. So it, it is things like, I mean, none of it's rocket science necessarily, but you know what? If you can save time and get some things for free, have at it. So sure, but it's organized example, and it's all there. This was, yeah. was great to see some clock partners and um, posters that are free to remind people about how to do student talk, all kinds of stuff. Awesome. And I was so excited besides to come home today and know that I was have a chance to, to see you, but I got a nice little package in the mail today. I got this in my hands now for the first time. This is your, nice. most, your most recent release. Is that correct? It is. Yes. And I'd love for you to kind of dive into this a little bit. Seven, mind shifts for school leaders, because I, I, you know, we've talked about questions and we talked about in, in schools, but I think that also comes from supportive leaders. And to, to have this, I you know, was fortunate enough actually to have a chance to read it before, but now I get to read it as it is intended to be and, and as a book and in my hand. So tell, tell, tell us a little bit about what you can get from this book. Yeah, that, that book is really designed to help us rethink, again, kind of the default What is our go-to method for solving problems? And the inspiration for that book with Joe and TJ, my co-authors, was COVID. We really Really? began to have some conversations about, look at what we were able to accomplish when our backs were against the wall. When, When 
putting things on the back burner or just letting things stew for three years wasn't an option. We were able to do things that if you had asked any leader two years before, we would have said, yeah, that'll never happen. That'll never We'll never be distributing food in the parking lot. <laughs> right. We will never be paying for hotspots for students so that every student has one-to-one. We will never have teachers teaching from home, like all of those things. And so that book is really about what are some of the things that we had to put aside mm-hmm. in our way of thinking that allow us to, the original title of that book was Leading with a Crisis Mindset. And oh, wow. so it was about taking the mindset that we have in a crisis, like can do, no is not an option, and applying that to some things that really are a crisis in education. Is your printer going? No, I thought little Gizmo was trying to get in here or not. <laughs> He's always so trying to see. It's really about like, you know, we, we have a problem with teacher retention. It's a crisis. Sure. You know, we have a problem with equity. It's a crisis. And those are things that, you know, we put on the five-year plan for figuring out how we're going to fix. And we need to approach that really with the same the same vigor that we did with how are we going to educate kids in a pandemic. Absolutely. So I have two more questions for you. And as I said at the beginning, uh, we could spend a half day talking to, to Connie or more of all the great things that, that she's done. Here's just a, f- a few of the, the work. You know, you just saw Cy, Seven Mindsets. We talked about hacking questions. She has so many other things that, that she's doing. I'd love for you to share just a little bit about what's next for, for you yeah. or what you're working on right now because you're always going. I have a couple of different projects. Um, the going right now and a lot of balls in the air. I I overcommitted during COVID, let me just tell you that. (laughs) And now I'm paying the price. Um, But all really great opportunities. But one thing that I do have coming up that's most related, two things that are most related to this conversation about inviting questions is um, Julie Stern and I are writing a book with ASCD for um, looking at how visible visuals um, support learning. Okay. How bringing non-linguistic representations of thinking along with verbal um, representations of thinking come together to really strengthen thinking and innovation and um, communication, et cetera. And then the other is sort of diving a little bit deeper into hacking questions. And on on the book, uh, uh, on the books, on the calendar is hacking group work. Oh, wow. That's that's coming soon. And that will be really looking at all of the tips around how to set up groups, how to problem solve. What do you do, you know, with the when one kid takes over? What Mm -hmm. do you do when, you know, students aren't when they divide and conquer and they're not actually collaborating, but really taking all of the pain points of group work and trying to tackle those and provide solutions for teachers. Wow, you are just really impacting the field. We are exciting to to see everything you're doing and and trying to keep up is like, wow, I I don't know how you do it. But I'm going to get you out on this one. Same question I ask every one of the guests that come on here. What does Stronger Together mean to you? Oh, I I think Stronger Together is, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but really for me, it's about surrounding 
myself with people that not only make the end result stronger, but we also make one another stronger and through that experience. And it's like such a safe thing to be around people who are smarter and brighter and more creative than <laughs> you because the end result, we all bring our strengths. Everyone gets a chance to shine, but then everyone gets a chance to feed the areas that they would like to grow in. Wonderful. Well, there's so much that we covered in 30 minutes and it doesn't even scratch the surface. So make sure to check out the website that posted many times. I'll put it back down below here again. So many great resources on hacking questions. Make sure to check out all the work that Connie's doing there. If you haven't, if you don't follow her, make sure to follow her on Twitter and also all the social medias that, that you can find her because there's so many great things that you're doing. And I get to see you at Nightscape in a couple of weeks. What are you presenting there? Um, I was afraid you were gonna ask me that. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm presenting, um, I'm doing Strained and Drained, Metacognition. Yes. Um, I'm doing a strategy slam, which is just like oh. an hour packed full of engagement strategies. I definitely think I signed up for that one because I remember you, that's where we last saw each other, ASCD, when we did the four corners and we did the ABCD. We did so many great things that I've taken yeah. and, and used that from that session. So that is, that's going to be great. Yeah, that session is just that. Like, how many tools can we put in the toolbox? Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, thanks for fitness in on your super busy schedule. Um, that school is incredibly fortunate to have you um, in Colorado. Is that where you are? Yeah, I'm in Aspen. I, I really wanted, I was watching the sunset over the mountains before we started because I'm two hours behind you. And Oh, that's uh, nice. It's still good. It, I think daylight savings kind of put a, put a, I don't know, a bummer in that. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure we'll get another chance to do that out there because the amount of work you're doing and how many people want to bring you in to support their teachers. So as always, it's great to see you. We'll get to see you in person again. And for our mm -hmm. listeners and, and viewers, continue to put we over me and work together. And I think Gizmo is coming in. He wanted to say hi. And we'll get a chance to see you in Rochester real soon. Very good. I'm Thanks for coming in. Thank you. It is such a pleasure and honor to learn from educators around the globe. Make sure to continue to tune in to our audio podcast and check out our video podcast by visiting xfactor.link slash experience. I would love to hear your story and share with other educators around the globe.